I have invited some trusted friends, or indeed family, to come and help and share some of their experiences and thoughts as well. And just to say, after that, we're going to have a short time of Q&A. And uh, that phone number is what you can text to send in your question. Uh, if you don't want to do that, you can write down a question on the little slip. If you've not got one, ask those around you. And Johnny, at some point, there'll be like a 30-second break where you can chuck those in really quickly. So feel free to be asking your question as we go along. Uh, now, this is Dawn. We'll start with Dawn. Uh, hi, Dawn. Um, can you introduce yourself to us, please? Yep. I'm on. Um, <laughs> I'm Dawn. Um, I'm a GP in South Birmingham. Um, so I guess come with a bit of a health professional background in that respect, but have also been in Church Central for 11 years. Um, and so I guess have done family here for 11 years and have walked through some of this stuff with my family and equally have been amazingly looked after by them as well. Great. Um, Dawn, as a GP, um, we've talked before about some of the joys of that and some of the uh, difficulties of that. What would you see, uh, coming at it from a medical point of view, are some of the strengths of the medical setup to approaching mental health problems? And what are some of the difficulties or the limitations or the weaknesses? Um, so I guess when someone comes to you, they're in a crisis, they're in the pits of despair. And when you're like that, it can be really hard to see the wood for the trees. There's just a big fog. And for family members as well, um, for people close to that person, making decisions, um, seeing things, understanding what's going on, perhaps giving it a name, um, knowing what's going to happen next can just be so unsettling, um, that feeling of shifting sands under your feet. And, and I think health professionals, we see it, we see it all the time, and we have lots of studies and lots of evidence that tell us about patients and what can help. And I guess that sense of perspective and objectivity can be really, really helpful at times for patients, but also for their families. Um, it's a big burden to have to make those decisions or help someone make decisions when you're so close to them. We're not as emotionally close in that respect. Um, but equally, um, I guess that's a weakness too. Um, you want to take everybody home when you see them in your clinic. I want to put them all in my pocket and take them home. Um, and I can't. Um, and I only get 10 minutes sometimes. And you want to see them longer and you want to know them better. And you, you can't see the spiritual and deep parts um, of someone's situation. And so you're only speaking in to the little bit that you can see. And sometimes we just miss the point. We get it wrong. They definitely need more than us um, to get through. Yeah. Um, Dawn, could you speak for a moment about the question of antidepressant medication or uh, tablets and things like that? Some of us would be using those some of us would feel instinctively really nervous of those. Uh, what's your perspective on, on that question? So I think I should definitely say when I hear the press use the phrase happy pill, it sends an absolute shiver down my spine and makes me really cross. Um, so they are anything but that. Um, and for anybody here who's walked a journey of mental health or with others, they will know that it is a difficult journey and recovery is not made by a pill. 
Um, but again, for some people who are in that point where it's foggy and difficult, where your concentration is so poor and your motivation is so low and your sleep is so bad, how do you even begin to engage with the types of things that can help make you better? <laughs> and sometimes that's what antidepressants do. They just lift you enough to get your foot on the first rung of the ladder um, before everything else comes in. And I've seen in my patients the turnaround that can come from getting your first foot on the ladder and then the hard work starts, it does. Um, but it, it's, they need that help before they can get going. Brilliant. Um, Dawn is going to be uh, sitting up here for the Q&A as well. Uh, so if you've got some kind of questions that would work really well for her, then chuck those in. Uh, and these guys will be around after. And if you want to chat more uh, about that question, then you can. Do bump the microphone along that way. Uh, and we have Ruth. Uh, Ruth, would you introduce yourself for <laughs> yeah, us? Yeah, I'm Ruth, and I work as a wellbeing officer at the University of Birmingham, which basically means kind of supporting students through all sorts of things really but I do see a lot of kind of cases of mental health issues as well as part of my job so it's basically trying to get students to get through their degree yeah. <laughs> with whatever the problems are so yeah. yeah that's what I do. Great um, we have a lot of students here in our church we love that love having you guys among us um, <laughs> what in your perspective has been what makes student life a vulnerable time? What's particularly challenging in this area in the student world, do you think? Yeah, well, I wouldn't want to talk for, like, because there are a lot of students over there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what's difficult about being a student. But um, I think there's just so much, really, isn't there? There's, like, all the finance side of being a student that's very different now than it was when I went to university. There's, like, everybody leaving home a lot of them for the first time kind of um so a lot of stress mm. a lot of the students I see find university incredibly stressful being surrounded by other people who are incredibly stressed um lack of like um kind of support network yes. and things people have moved away from their parents other students not necessarily in a place to be supportive in the way that you know they were set up as at home so yeah yeah just yeah can be really difficult for people. Yeah. I think that um, if you're a student here, um, it's a wonderful time, but you, you may now, as kind of you head into the, towards the end of term, discover it's a challenging time as well. Um, that's okay uh, if you found that out. That's okay. Um, Ruth, just lastly with you, uh, what would you uh, recommend for students who perhaps uh, have discovered that they're suffering with mental health stuff or they're beginning to wonder whether they are what's kind of available at the uni, what okay. kind of course of action would you recommend? I think the first thing is probably to come and see somebody who does my kind of role. There's one in every single school or department in the university. Um, just because there are, it depends on what the issue is really. I mean, I do refer people a lot to GPs, um, but there are also a lot of kind of drop-in sessions that might help. It depends on kind of, whether the problem's chronic or acute, like you might just be going through a blip and need some support, or it might be something that's a bit deeper and you need to go and see a GP and kind of get a diagnosis. But at the moment, we do have a drop-in that's run by Forward Thinking, who are like 
who cover kind of mental health in Birmingham for naught to 25 year olds. Um, and that's on Mondays in the Bramall Music Building, one to four o'clock. But I mean, I can write all, all this up, but, but that's quite a good, they kind of provide low level support at the moment in that drop-in. So if you just think it'd be helpful to have a chat with somebody, yes. there is a lot of support available. Yeah. Great. Um, my understanding is that at one point there wasn't really, and now increasingly there is. Uh, again, Ruth's here. Uh, she's part of our church. So if you want to grab Ruth, ask questions around student stuff, feel very free. Uh, this is Ruth. You've seen Ruth. Talk to Ruth. Um, could I steal the microphone from you, or indeed take it, and bounce it this way uh, to Chloe? Chloe, uh, could you introduce yourself to us? Hi, so I'm Chloe. I'm a junior doctor. Um, I went to Madagascar about four years ago to do some volunteering over there. We came back to the UK, um, then started to get very unwell, and I guess to cut a long story short, I then got diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder um, and associated depression related to some experiences that I'd had in Madagascar. Um, it was quite, it was pretty severe. I had uh, two years off of work, off sick. Um, I had a lot of treatment from a psychologist and also through some medication. Um, I then had a very prolonged phase return to work and I'm now back at work part-time um, because of health reasons. And I guess, um, I, I guess my trajectory is very positive and I get better every month, get a bit better. Um, but I guess it's still something that affects me on a daily basis. Uh, it's like living with a long-term medical condition and still has its kind of challenges and exacerbations. Yeah, thank you. Um, in preparation for this morning, Chloe was absolutely very <laughs> helpful to me and I'm really grateful and I just wanted to tell you that because she's been great. Um, Chloe, in... Uh, yeah, go on, an applause, an applause. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Um, being a Christian solves everything. No, being a Christian doesn't solve everything, but what... What would you say have been some blessings of knowing God? How has being a Christian helped you in that that kind of long experience? Mm, yeah, I think um, I think obviously there's been times where I've not been able to work. I've not really been able to do anything that has felt very meaningful. And I think to know that I have a God that says that I have worth and value, that I'm accepted and loved unconditionally because of who I am, um, not because of what I can do or what I can't do, um, and that who I am doesn't change depending on, on that has been really big for me. I think as well, what kind of Rich was saying earlier about being misunderstood, I think you just feel like nobody understands who you are, I including yourself. I think you get to this stage where you're like, well, who is, what is me and what is my illness and who am I and I don't know anymore. And I think to be able to come before a God who fully knows me and completely understands me, even when I, I don't even have to say anything, I think that has been huge for me. Um, and I think as well, there have been situations where I've just felt God's presence um, and he's not changed the situation. But knowing that he's there with me has just given me the strength to get through that day. Um, so, yeah. Wonderful. Uh, lastly, with you, um, how can you advise us uh, in the realm of supporting those of us who struggle with mental health difficulties? What, what helps from others? And uh, the, the goal is not perfection. We're, we, we're a community of grace, but we want to know what helps and what, what kind of doesn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I, I think that's a very big question, but I think the most important thing for me um, is you you just need to be there. I think um, I think it's about providing an opportunity for the person to have a chat with you if they if they want to. But actually, most of what I've needed has been just somebody to sit with me while I sit there and cry. And I think like anybody can do that. Um, I think if you're not sure what somebody wants from you, it's fine to ask them. Ask them, you know, what, what would be helpful right now? Do you want to talk? Do you want to just sit? Um, I think it's fine. But I think it's about being there consistently. You know, keep asking them how they're doing. Keep seeing um, what you can do to help. Um, I think when we're unwell, we tend to withdraw. Um, but please don't withdraw from them. Because I think when I look back, that's the thing that I've appreciated the most is just people being there. Um, I think if you're supporting someone with a mental health problem, I think please do it in a, a, as a group of you. I, it's Don't do it on your own. <laughs> and I think uh, as well, at the end of the day, it's about helping that person accept that they've got a problem and getting some professional help. I think, you know, if somebody broke their leg, you wouldn't say, oh, I'll just stay at home. Don't don't bother going and getting, going and seeing a doctor. Um, it's no different. And I think that's going to be really key to that person's recovery. So that's important. Wonderful. Chloe, thank you so much. Uh, lastly, but indeed not least at all, uh, we have Sam. Uh, Sam, introduce yourself to us and perhaps tell us a bit about how your story kind of intertwines with this stuff yeah. as well. Yeah. So I'm Sam. Um, I'm also a junior doctor. Um, I'm a GP trainee, so I'm hoping to be like Dawn one day. Um, <laughs> Don't we all? Don't we all? Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm married to Verena and Joseph Sasson, and we we studied in London, and then we uh, well, I grew up in Birmingham and studied in London, moved back to Birmingham um, and started Church Central here about four years ago. Um, at the same time moving church, moving house, moving city, um, started as a junior doctor, um, my first proper job, um, and at that time started to become very anxious, um, didn't know what was going on at first, so uh, similar, that kind of fog, um, not knowing what my symptoms were, um, not, knowing, not knowing what was going on, and then found myself um, getting very depressed and low in mood, um, and eventually, uh, Verena nagged me enough to go to the GP, um, and and yeah, I was diagnosed with anxiety, uh, with kind of secondary depression, I guess, um, and went on a course of antidepressants and had a lot of uh, amazing professional help from um, my GP and psychologists and um, occupational medics. Um, yeah, brilliant. And now I work part time. Yeah, that's the way forward. <laughs> if you take one thing from today, <laughs> that's okay. Um, Sam, could you? We've kind of chatted before about how, as men, mm. it's sometimes hard to uh, admit things like this, and that often this discussion can feel a bit feminine. Why do you think it's particularly difficult? as a bloke, mm. to talk about this stuff? Yeah. Uh, it's a really tricky question, and I don't really know the answer, Rich. Um, uh, but I, I, I kind of know what you're getting at. There's a, there's a sort of stereotype that, I guess, men are less likely to talk about their feelings, where women maybe find it easier to talk about their feelings. Um, I, think, I think perhaps... 
there are other things that mean that a person is, is likely to open up to other people or not. So I think um, your personality type, uh, your sort of cultural background, um, what sort of support network you have around you, if you have close friends that you feel able to confide in. Um, I think that also adds into the mix. So I think sometimes the, the male-female thing can be maybe overplayed. And I think sometimes it's dangerous to... Well, it's very easy to stereotype, but the stereotype almost perpetuates mm. the fact that men perhaps find it more difficult to, um, to talk about these things. Um, and, yeah, I think one of the things in mental health is that stigma is still a really big problem. And um, if we can remove any of that stigma... Um, even in these big institutions, you know, the health service, even there's, there's still an amazing amount of stigma around mental health. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, we all have mental health, just some of us, uh, our mental health is worse than others and sometimes it dips and sometimes it, um, yeah. yeah. So I can't really answer your question. <laughs> uh, I'm not clever enough. You, but, you so. have, Sam, that's, <laughs> that's great. Um, we're going to move on to questions in, in 30 seconds or so. But just, Sam, just to finish with you, mm. uh, what have you appreciated about being a Christian mm. in that experience? Yeah. Um, so I think being a Christian, uh, my faith is really important to me. And um, I think it's definitely brought me closer to God. And I feel like I have more authenticity in my relationship with God. I feel like... God has given me peace. Um, it didn't happen overnight. It takes time and it takes lots of help and lots of going through stuff. And yeah. Um, and I feel like I've learned more about my identity in Christ. Yeah. As Paul puts it, we're in Christ. We are um, kind of, we died with Christ and we've risen with Christ. Um, so I've learned lots about my identity as a child of God. Yeah. Um, but all those things are very easy to say, kind of looking retrospectively and being well currently um, and looking back on that period. And um, But the answers don't come easily. Yeah. Um, so those are, those are very quick answers, and they sound quite, quite contrite, really, um, in some ways. But uh, that's what I'd say. Brilliant. I think that it's been very helpful to have these guys. If you agree, applaud loudly. Um, you'll notice time has almost defeated us. We're going to continue the Q&A um, over at that ring of chairs after we finish in about... We're probably going to be five minutes late for the kids' work. It, is that okay? A record. You need to rush off. Only five. Only five minutes late. Okay, so I won't say anyone. I'm just going to quickly uh, bang on the questions. Um, first one... Um, is if God's uh, word is so sufficient for us and God's promise is so good for us, why do people still struggle so much with this nowadays? Guys. I think that that is the exact question we're trying to look at, is our spirituality, the, the, the truths that help us to have hope and joy and confidence that come with Christianity are massive and have transformed my life. But that's not the only bit of me. Um, if uh, you were experiencing loneliness and someone said, but heaven is real, 
that would be good, but the, the, the problem of loneliness is solved by other things other than a promise of hope. Do you see? The, the, the problem, if it was only I'm not believing promises, I think that's potentially part of it. If it was only not believing promises, then promises would solve it. Uh, but I'm more than that, and therefore things are more complicated than that. And therefore, Jesus, who believed all the promises, was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death because things are more complicated than just our spirituality. Anything to add, Dawn, or should we? Sorry, I forgot you. Yeah, no, I think think just echoing what Rich says, it's getting at the complexity of what's going on. And I think often when someone comes to see me, their view of themselves and what's going on is really distorted. Um, It can be really hard to just formulate your thoughts when you're unwell, um, to articulate them, um, to get out of bed, to sleep. Um, and, and actually having a promise doesn't fix any of those things. Um, there's other things are needed. I have one patient in particular, and as soon as he's off his medicine for any length of time, we've tried a year, we've tried six months, we've tried one month, he just goes flat. It's as if his body just slows down, and we put him on it again, and he's okay. There's so much more to this than just some untrue promises that need to be put right again. Um, it's so complex. Thanks very much. Um, this question, we've got a couple of questions like this. I, I think this is the one um, we can go with. With an illness like schizophrenia, how much do you think is chemical imbalance or spiritual or, let's throw this word in, because some of you will be familiar, some won't, demonic? How would you differentiate? There we go. Rich. Great. Uh, good question. Uh, in the Bible, you read the Bible, Jesus believes in demons, uh, so so do I. Jesus speaks of demons uh, being real with uh, personalities that do harm in the world. Uh, Jesus speaks about that. So I believe that that's a thing. Uh, I would say that in our culture, I would be expectant that demonic activity would be more what's driving the rampant consumerism, individualism, materialism, uh, and that demons don't just work in really visible, explosive ways, but actually I would put a lot of demonic activity down to some of the stuff that we just roll with. Now, in some cultures um, where people are dabbling in dark spirituality, uh, so parts of Africa, for example, then they would speak much more regularly of uh, demonic attack coming in those sort of visible and physical ways. In all of my experience, which is long, uh, <laughs> not, um, in my limited experience, I've been a student worker for five years and then a youth worker for two. I think I would say I've seen one experience in my time as a Christian where I thought someone was experiencing that, and uh, it would be not my place to jump to that assumption at all. So I think they're real but I don't think that I go there, and I don't think I've needed to, uh, except maybe for one situation. Um, so that's kind of the, 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 the amount of emphasis I would put there in this discussion. Fascinating. Dawn? Yeah, I think particularly as a health professional in this context, I can probably liken it to um, homeothera- homeopathy or alternative therapies for cancer when people think about mental health being demonic. Um, and so they look to that side without asking for medical help. It worries us. <laughs> um, and actually, conditions like schizophrenia, um, they need 
um, a medical model, as well as all the other things that have been talked about today, um, to bring about um, a sense of living with that illness. Um, so yeah, really be cautious about going down that demonic route. It is a collection of symptoms that develop in a very clear pattern um, that can be recognized as patterns that affect people in a very um, patterned way and need um, that level of input to, to live with them subsequently. It's also interesting that when you see Jesus healing people in the Gospels, uh, and a wise man called Johnny was talking to me about this the other day, when you see Jesus healing people, he actually addresses their whole person, not just spiritual things. It was really a bright comment. Um, how um, when someone is, uh, say, maybe got leprosy, then what they need is their leprosy healing, and Jesus heals their leprosy, but also their leprosy has driven them from their society, from their community. They've lost all their honor in that world. And Jesus, in healing them, he touches them. He doesn't just go zap. He physically touches them. He speaks of their identity, draws them back into community. He honors them. And so even in the kind of pow bits of the Gospels where Jesus heals, he's actually holistically working on a whole person. And I think that's what we should do as well. Preach. Okay, uh, <laughs> one last one. Uh, just with all of these, and I'll say this again in a minute, we're not going to be able to deal with these massive topics in these 10 minutes, and we want to start all these things, starting conversations. Okay, so we'd love to hear more about those things if you'd like to ask more. Uh, last question, um, we'll ask this one. What is God's perspective of someone who's depressed to the point of suicide, and what if that person tips over the edge? What then? Of course, a really important question. Rich. Yeah. God's perspective of someone who is depressed to the point of suicide is he loves you uh, or them enough to come into the world and suffer horribly for you, and he cares for you. He does not want to cast you away, uh, put you in stigma and shame. He wants to welcome you in and draw you near. He loves you very, very, very much. That is his primary perspective of you. Um, I had a, a friend this summer who's a, a faithful Christian who committed suicide. Uh, I believe she was a faithful Christian. I believe she's with Jesus now. She was driven by her illness to something which I think was an awful end to that story. I'm glad that that isn't the end of her story. Um, I believe that uh, suicide is not right, um, if you want to ask that question coldly, I think that um, if you're uh, thinking about that, then it would be irresponsible of me to softly at the front offer only grace and hope. I would want to urge you not to do that. Uh, I would strongly encourage you, please don't do that. Um, however, it's not the only thing I'd want to say. Oh, that's, that's technically not a helpful thing to do. No, no, no. You, you come into our family and we'll stand with you. Uh, and I do. Ha I wouldn't want to say, because it would be bad to say in a microphone, um, that what Jesus prays the night before he dies is, is suicidal, because I don't know if that's exactly it. But Jesus says he feels something so challenging and horrendous that he believes that the only release from that would be death. I'm not saying he's asking for that, but he believed that that was what was happening to him. And the, the eyes of heaven get you. They understand you, and I'd want to encourage you, cling on and uh, talk to us, and we'll walk with you. I, I will walk with you. I, I, I won't get it right, but I'll try my best. 
Um, and I'll throw a microphone at you just to, you know, make it worse. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's really hard to speak into that. Just, you know, when I'm sat there as a GP and someone comes to me with those emotions, I'm a person. <laughs> um, first and foremost, um, you just feel so much compassion for that person and you just want to see them free. Um, I suppose only to add what Rich has said is in my job, I get to see the hope of that too. I get to walk alongside people and I get to see them get better. And it's not always quick, but when they come at that point, I get the privilege to see them in the darkest place that they've ever been. And I get the privilege to see them a little while later when they're not in that place anymore. Um, so it's just to offer some hope if you are feeling that way today, um, that it, it's, not, it's not just the way everything is always going to be.